Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, the keeper of the peace, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross and Randy Jowers. Boys, tonight is episode 23, titled Summer Catch. We'll be bringing on former St. Louis Cardinal star, former Mississippi State Bulldog star, former Johnny Bench Award winner, and the current owner and operator of the Easley Baseball Club, Mr. Ed Easley. But before we bring Ed into the mix, gentlemen, fill me, on, fill me in on the weekend that was. It's Labor Day. We had an extra day off, an extra day to rest. No laboring, hopefully, today. But, Jim, talk to me. How was it, man? Well, you know, Saturday we got to do that special episode with Trey Washington, so that was really good stuff, man. What a good young man for anyone who hasn't got to tune into that episode yet. But then I got to do the same thing as you guys and watch some Tiger football Saturday night. I'm going to let Randy, since he was there, talk more about that. And then, unfortunately, Daniel, I did labor, man. I hit the gym both Sunday and Monday, did some yard work, but I did spend some time with the family. So um, productive is all that matters. It's good, man. Good stuff. Randy, what about you? Just so glad that we have college football back, man. All 4,537 fans rocked the stadium Saturday night. Uh, it was weird. It was super weird. We uh, changed a lot in the way we operate the stadium, changed a lot in the way we uh, serve our fans, uh, even the media. It was a whole different vibe. Uh, but the biggest part is we had football. Uh, everybody was wearing masks. It was 12 foot was the rule, and I swear the people were 100 foot apart at bare minimum. Uh, but a lot of labor today. My wife, Sunday and Monday, we always having a project in our house. We never sit still. Today we're framing mirrors, and you know how that goes. Pinterest is going to be the death of me. Man, you said labor and then immediately said your wife, and I was thrown back a little bit. I was well, we've had enough you. of that. So you got you to be careful with the words, man. Um, but for me, guys, it was a family weekend. I had dinner at my mother-in-law's house. You know, you got to put in a couple of those every now and then. It was fun. It was a good dinner. So caught up with the family, had a good time, and then just, you know, watched a couple hockey games waiting on the Lightning to find out who their opponent is. And we finally got them in the New York Islanders. And currently in the second period, the Lightning are on top four to one. So just thought you guys might want to know that. Got to get our hockey update in. That's right. But guys, let's get down to business. We got an awesome guest tonight. Uh, we have a former big league catcher for the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, the Pirates. We have a former Mississippi State Bulldog star, a Johnny Bench Award winner, and the owner and operator of the Easley Baseball Club, Mr. Ed Easley. Ed, my man, thanks for joining us tonight. How we doing? Yeah, man, no problem. Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, you know, it's, tonight's going to be pretty cool. We get to have, you know, a conversation with a guy closer to our age and we can kind of rap about, you know, the life and what it's like and we can kind of relate on a level that we haven't been able to relate to. We appreciate those young cats for coming on, but tonight's going to be fun for us uh, in a different light. But I want you to take us back um, to when you started playing baseball. Uh, at what age was it where you were like, man, like, I kind of like this? Probably my son's age, which he's four. Um, I'm from North Mississippi, and we started having our little rec league start up around four and five years old. So I got going around then, and 
you know, just started playing the game and loving the game. And as I continued to, to get older, I started to get a little more competitive and play with some different different groups. And I just kind of took off from there. So to answer your question, four or five years old is really when I started, you know, playing ball. So was it a t-ball at four? Was it a coach pitch or were you just straight in the kid pitch? And, and if so, like – how did that develop into who you played for? Because I know when I was growing up, it was it was essentially about who you played for, like the different competitive travel team organizations, like it, they all meant something. So what was the progression from four up until, you know, that travel team that you played for? Four was definitely T-ball, you know, had that rule where um, as you got older, you got – few pitches thrown to you and if you didn't hit it by the third pitch or so then they put on the tee but I think at four and five was for sure tee ball six probably started coach pitch um, seven eights coach pitch and then nine year old is when they start the kid pitch age group um, my competitive years started at about 12 years old and uh, you know being a catcher I didn't even start catching till I was 12 years old so that's some things that I kind of um, you know, revert back to as I'm talking to some of these parents, players about some different things and, and kids playing different positions through my club. Um, you know, I made it to the big leagues as a catcher. I didn't start catching until I was 12. And some of these parents sometimes worry about what position their kids playing and what they're hitting in the batting order. And it really doesn't matter. And I got another example I'll share with y'all in a few minutes of another DeSoto Central player that just committed to Mississippi State. And um, so there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of different thoughts and um, perspectives of it. But me particularly played competitive ball from 12 up until 18, and then I headed off to college. So who, who did you play for? Was it one organization or many organizations that you played for? Um, 12 through 14, I was with the Carryville Rebels group. It was just kind of a local competitive group. Um, with some buddies, and then 15, 16, 17, 18, I played with the Doolins Dodgers, um, pretty well-known organization around the Memphis area, area over the last few years that, that helped tremendously with um, the recruiting process. So was baseball your only sport growing up? Uh, seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I played all three sports coming through middle school, and, and then freshman year of high school, I played all three. And then after my freshman year, I focused strictly on baseball. How, how important is it for, a, for kids growing up to play multiple sports? I like it. You know, I get asked that question all the time. Um, there may come a point in your life or late in your high school years or even heading into college where you've got to pick one. But I think it's valuable. And I think it's, it's good to keep the kids active and keep them in shape for different sports and – and do as many things as you can. I sometimes look back and regret not playing high school football. I mean, some of the best times, uh, Friday night lights. And uh, it's just one of those things where you just got to kind of be specific on what you want out of it and where you think you're going to end up and maybe take the best route accordingly. Absolutely. So so with that, that growing up, I mean, obviously it's a lot of moving uh, around from organization and from, you know, different levels obviously you became an elite level player you're a pro baseball player but um how did your family influence you as far as playing baseball or pursuing so the supporting is is the the word i would say that that means the most and 
that my parents did for me. They were just so supportive and, and helped me with the opportunities, gave me the opportunities to, to get to where I am today. And that's a lot of things, a lot of kids, the younger age groups now don't understand that uh, of what's allowing them to, to play the game and give them the opportunities they're given. I mean, all these tournaments that are located in different cities across the country. I mean, we're loading up going to Atlanta this next weekend and the money that it takes to, to have these opportunities. Uh, so again, answer your question. It's just the support that my family gave me is, is, is key. From what you see with, with your kids at EBC, is, is there a fine line between support and just putting too much pressure on a kid? Yes, no doubt. Um, and so I think back to the word support. I mean, if, if parents ask me all the time what they can do, what they need to be doing, you know, they need to be there for support. I think too many times kids have rough games and they get in the car after the game with their parents and all the parents want to talk about is how bad they did. And I can't remember one time throughout my young career that I would get in the car and, and my dad discussed about my failures. It was all about the positive stuff and go get them tomorrow. And that's what's so special about this game is you play it so often. You don't worry about the 0 for 3s because you come back the next day and you're two for three and then you're two for six and you're doing pretty good over the last two days. And so um, very, very uh, difference there as far as the too much pressure and support that I think too much pressure does tend to affect these players these days. Yes. So going back to you, your parents were super supportive in, in the endeavor, but like, when did you know that you had it? Like you had something special and you were like, man, like this could actually you know, earn me an income. Senior year of high school, day game one, Olive Branch High School, spring year, 12 pro scouts walk up to the field behind me as I'm getting ready to take BP. And so I'm thinking like, man, I've, I've got my college decision out of the way. It's time to go play ball and just focus on having a fun senior year in high school. And then all of a sudden, here we go with, with the pro scouts. So I think, you know, that right there made me stop and realize, man, this, this could be an opportunity of a lifetime, but I've got to just stay focused on what I'm doing. So as, as you think back on your Olive Branch High School days, how, how good of a team were you guys? We were pretty solid. Um, us and South Haven would, would battle through the district most of the years. South Haven had some really strong teams back in the – early 2000s that we would go back and forth at. But, you know, we were good. Um, the furthest we ever made it was the north half in 2004. Uh, so we were, we were very competitive, had some guys go to Division One off the teams that I played on. And, you know, a lot of times if your high school team has some Division One players or even more than one, then, then you, you got a chance to be a special team. And, and we were. Absolutely. I just – I think back to – that time there was a lot of really good baseball teams in Memphis and South Haven, Olive Branch. I mean, you name it in that mid South area, there was a ton of good baseball going on. Um, who do you, who do you think was the best player on your team? Through the high school years. Yeah. I mean, it's, and I, in my opinion, it would have been you, but like that, that might not be the answer. Yeah. I mean, There was a guy named Cody Bumpus, or there's a guy named Cody Bumpus that, if y'all know that name, he uh, 
man, he had a great high school career. You know, he LSU came and watched him one day, and he was on the mound and hit 90 and then hit three home runs in the same game. And then Turtle Thomas, the recruiting coordinator, offered him that, that weekend. And, again, Cody had a unique uh, college career. You know, if you were to talk to him about how many places he, he stopped at along the way. But uh, to, to your point, the high school years, Cody Bumpus was a special player. Who is, who is your toughest high school competition? Like what team? Uh, Northwest Rankin ended up being the toughest competition once we got past our district. They always got some competitive teams down in Jackson area. Locally, um, South Haven, you know, the teams with Bray Wright and John Moran and Michael Robbins and Gary Scott Gabbert, those groups right there that we battled head and head with um, throughout my junior. That was more my, I guess, my freshman, sophomore year is when those guys were juniors and seniors that we went back and forth. Clay Dirks is another name that was at Hernando that was a stud pitcher that pitched at LSU. Um, Clay Sarton at Horn Lake. And just a lot of good guys, like you said, back in the day in the DeSoto County area. So what what do you know about Bolton High School? Um, Mr. Scoggins. Uh, no, I know, you know, growing up, playing for Doolins, playing with some guys who played at Bolton, but but not much. <laughs> gotcha. So what, so what was your, your take on Mississippi baseball in comparison to baseball in Shelby County? Who, who was better? Um, man, even though we were pretty good, I mean, it's hard to argue with the teams that Germantown, Tennessee had and Houston High School had. Um, Carville really wasn't in the mix then. And I think to your point, you're wanting me to include Bolton and some of these other schools. And, and I really uh, don't have much to say about them, but I think you're probably aware of the German towns and Houston's back in the late nineties and early two thousands that were pretty, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking, you're talking guys. I don't know. You might've went to school. He might've been there your last year, Joseph Hunter played at, at yeah. Mississippi State. He was a Germantown guy, Paul Mahome. Yeah. Um, you got guys, I mean, hell, even Matt Kane uh, is, is another big arm from Houston. I called Matt when he, when he hit 96, 97 for the first time and started getting on the map. I think I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, was at Carville in the summer. He was throwing and had some scouts there. And, yeah, he, uh, he was a special one. You know, I'm glad uh... – we brought up Germantown, Tennessee, and we start talking about this. And Mississippi State, before we go into college, I wanted to throw a shout-out to Brent Rooker, who played for Mississippi State. He is from Germantown, Tennessee. And I don't know how, how many of y'all have been paying attention, but, uh, man, not only has he got called up and got to play DH the last two games for the Twins, but he's even batting in the three-hole. So, Germantown, Tennessee product and Mississippi State product. So, shout-out to him. Um, are you familiar with him, Ed? Yeah, I am, man. Brant's been a uh, – uh, or he was a, a factor in me starting my organization, getting it off the ground. He helped me do two years of camps, my first two years. Uh, so we were flooded with youngsters, as you can imagine, that wanted to come hit with, with Brent. Uh, but, yeah, I saw that too. I saw him in the three-hole tonight when I was looking on Twitter earlier. That's pretty neat, man. He's a, he's a big-time hitter. That's cool. That's cool. All right, so let's get into uh, 
to college. You you had said when you were telling Daniel that the Pro Scouts had came your senior year to the first game and you had already knew where you were going. When did you start getting pursued by Mississippi State? Uh, sophomore year of high school probably. Junior year of high school during the summer. You know, when we played those perfect game tournaments in Atlanta, they start following you around and start communicating with you a little bit. But there's that September 1 rule in place uh, of heading into your junior year where they can't really contact you. And I remember Zach Cozart and I were uh, roommates and our hotel phone started ringing off the hook that morning with some different college teams. It was pretty neat, pretty cool memory. Was the uh, was the list pretty long? I mean, honestly, that was calling up? Yeah. I mean, it was – it was every SEC school um, in the country was was trying to get a hold of us that day. And again, I don't like talking about this stuff and not trying to sound, but uh, uh, you know, Cozart was a big factor in that. I'm sure y'all are familiar with him and his career. And he was one of those Tennessee baseball guys that played at Carterville growing up and has had a great big league career. So I mean, after you know all those calls and you're sitting there telling us about that. So I mean, it was going to be state. Did it seem like it's going to be state all the way? No, it wasn't. Um, my sister went to state. I narrowed it down to five schools and then down to three. And my final three were Clemson, Georgia Tech, and Mississippi State. And I went to visit all three of them and then made a final decision there at the very end and, and didn't commit till my senior year. And you look, you look these days, and these freshmen and sophomores in high school are the ones committing to the SEC schools. And that's just what's different today than it was then. Um, but no, I didn't decide on Mississippi State till kind of the last minute. Coach Ron Polk came and sat in my living room, and and uh, it was a big big factor in that decision, and gave me a scholarship that he said that Will Will Clark was the only one to get of my uh, value. So again, just some cool stuff that helped sway me towards Mississippi State. And uh, but then again, like you know, talking about the draft and the pro guys coming to watch. I mean, there was a it came down to the last day before the draft if I was going to go to go pro or go college and you know we can get in that too but um no it's, it's, it was a good good fun process yeah no the the process is fascinating to me because I've never been in anything like that I just it seems cool to have people you know knocking on your door calling your phone you know offering up you an opportunity for a bright future and to get to play sports and so to have people who are who are interested in you and and trying to get you to come to their program. Uh, I mean, and then, you know, I don't envy trying to choose between it. You know, we were just, you know, talking to our last guest, and, you know, he had 13 schools, you know, offer him for football. And, I mean, it's it's tough, man, when you got when you got a list of these amazing schools, and it's, it's going to come down to usually the those one or two things that are going to separate that school from the rest. And so with that, um, who did you play with at State? Any, any big names we might know? Mitch Moreland's probably had the biggest career. I just got traded over to San Diego. He was the first baseman, right fielder during during my career, roommate of mine. Um, but no, I mean, other than Mitch, I mean, there was a few of us drafted and played a lot of years in the minor leagues. But he's the one that's had the the longest uh, major league career uh, from from my teammates. I mean, you look at the the years of like thirteen, I think. Uh, Adam Frazier was a roommate of mine. Uh, in AAA in 2016 with the Pirates. And, you know, his class was the class of all the big leaguers these days. I gotcha. Yeah, no, uh, we were actually just talking about Moreland amongst other people because of uh, San Diego. They, 
you know, we, we had talked about on an episode, we didn't feel like anything was really going to happen going into the trade deadline. And then not only were all these teams trading, but specifically San Diego, uh, they got 10 players. And, yeah, Moreland, like you said, was one of them. Who would you say was the best player you played against while you were at Mississippi State? David Price. I mean, I remember Ooh. facing him three times in the SEC tournament and walking back to the dugout all three times. Uh, I think I saw nine pitches, probably eight of them were curveballs that I couldn't sniff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, he's, as y'all know, one of the best in the game or ever to play the game. And unfortunately I faced him in, in college. Yeah. That just brought a lot of re reality to me when you dropped that name, I was like, Ooh, David yeah. Price. And so, uh, you know, around uh, when at Mississippi State, you know, final question and dealing with that, when did the pros really start trying to uh, push you or when did, uh, you know, draft night, all that stuff, when when did it really start to happen at Mississippi State? Uh, junior year. So I was a junior draft. I was heading into my third year. Once you, but once I became draft eligible, the process started. You know, I, I wasn't living at home, obviously, so I was meeting with all the the scouts at the schools and they were there watching our fall workouts and games and it got pretty, pretty heavy. Uh, once things started rolling, our team was being successful. So that helped a lot. You know, you, you talk about guys who win the NBA MVPs and all these different things. It, winning matters when that, when that's being talked about. And so my team went to the world series that year, 2007 Omaha world series, um, having a successful year, being a catcher, all that stuff kind of came into play. And, and boom, uh, they popped me in the first round. And, um, you know, here I am. Uh, how many years later? 13 or 14 years, and feels like yesterday. That's cool. That's cool. Well, I got to ask you because I've always been fascinated because I've heard about it, and I've never got to talk to anybody who's played in it. Um, you know, during the summers, uh, the, the Cape League, Tell, tell me about that. What's that like? You know, it's 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 pretty neat. It really is. I mean, I, I don't – I'm not going to sit here and tell you I loved it. It just kind of depends on your personality. Um, but but as far as the league and how they have it set up, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I played for two years. I actually went to Wareham after my freshman year and then went to Chatham after my sophomore year, living with the host family, um, hanging out at night on the beach, you know, hanging with your buddies. It's, it's everything you see. Uh, um, as you do on that movie Summer Catch. I mean, that's real. I mean, it is. It's the crowds. It's the smoke. It's the the fan base. It's the, um, you know, everybody's real personal. And that's what it's all about that time of year on the Cape. And pretty special experience. Man, that's that's awesome because you just, like, nailed my next three questions. I was going to ask, have you seen the movie? I was going to ask if you really do stay at people's houses. But but I'll tell you this for, for the fun of it. Uh, me and Me and Daniel – watched that movie a hundred times in high school. And I'll be honest with you, Ed, I knew the league was real. I didn't know Chatham was a real team. So when we were doing the research on you for this episode a few weeks back and I saw that, I immediately sent that to him. And I was like, that's a real team? And, and I was like, because like, you know, you, you see a movie, you think they're, you know, they're making up fictional teams. Right. And so uh, that was cool. So are you the real life uh, Brubaker? Do you remember, do you remember the catcher? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> you don't want to be him. You don't want to be him. If you were him, don't say you were. I wouldn't. Uh, I hear you. Um, so, I mean, the I'll add, this will be the last thing I'll ask about that, um, you know, since you answered a lot of it. Was the competitive level 
um, in that league, I mean, was it legit? Like, I mean, was – I mean, because they say, um, you know, I talk to a lot of these kids who play in these different summer leagues, but they reference the Cape in a whole other way. I mean, is it the cream of the crop? Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, you go, you go back and look at the rosters, they're probably, if I had to guess, 50% big leaguers, you know, played – played at the Cape. And so they were, I wouldn't say in their prime, but pretty close to their prime of ability and velocity and, and skill set. So, yeah, you know, it's the real deal, no doubt. So, Ed, we've heard a lot about accolades and kind of – but just want to kind of go through the draft. And I heard you say you were drafted first round. Obviously, we did some research coming in. But for the people that don't know that will be listening, who drafted you? And kind of walk us through that experience and what that was like. Sure. I, I was drafted by Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, I was a current junior at Mississippi State. We were playing in the Super Regionals versus Clemson. And so it was like a Thursday or Wednesday night. We had like a team dinner during the draft. Uh, so it was kind of one of those things where I maybe I'd got a call um, before the draft telling me that they were going to take me with this pick. And then during the draft, like, like I said, we were doing a, a team dinner and I wasn't really watching it live like you think some, you know, like you see most guys do these days. And so I was picked and, you know, word got to me and we celebrated a little bit and I kept on with my business but um yeah Arizona Diamondbacks was the team that picked me in the first round in 2007. Yeah so you said you weren't watching and I'm I'm neurotic I would have been glued to the tv and if I dropped past where I thought I would be Mm -hmm. I'd be throwing stuff but you know we've talked to some guys John John Boland is a uh a a good friend of mine friends with the family kind of what that money was like and what that is so was it like a life change obviously doesn't sound like it was too light you, you know you wanted to do it and you earned it but you went about your business with, with John some of these kids are getting life-altering money like Blaze Jordan those kind of kids right. was it that kind of thing for you for me personally I mean it wasn't life-changing it was it was good I mean it's no secret you can google it and look it up and it was a little over half a million dollars uh, I was a I was a what we what you call a compensation sandwich pick in the first round. So it kind of uh, even though I was a, the 61st overall pick, it was kind of like a round in between the first and second. So it wasn't like those top 10 picks that you can kind of see these days. That's really life changing money. But what it does is is you take the money because you come back your senior year and you have no negotiating rights and you got to take whatever they give you. So yeah, I mean it was great money uh, for a. 20, 21 year old college kid to be able to put that in your account heading into the real world to kind of get you started. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's real. Oh, I could have used half a mil when I was yeah. 20 for sure. I probably would have done bad things with it. I'm not going to lie to you. So <laughs> we talked to uh, some guys about this, especially John John kind of went going through, you know, low A ball and rookie ball. But, and it seems to me, and you, you walked me through this because I wasn't good enough to even play high school baseball. We don't talk about that, DB. But, uh, the single A stuff. Talk about what the difference was going from playing at Mississippi State and all these SEC stadiums to where you played at in, in low A ball. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you, you you don't really think about that until it, it really happens, right? And so you think that you get drafted in the first round or most people think of how, how you know, glorious it is and how nice it's got to be. You know, I show up in, in um, Yakima, Washington. Uh, furthest possible place away from Starkville, Mississippi in our country and show up and the stadium's, you know, not very good. And I'm one of about three people that speak English. And, and so uh, it's just a different experience. Um, 
but it's great. It really is. You learn to, to accept it and you, you move on and you play and you try to get better and you try not to be in that place very long, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, leaving the SEC and, and going to, at that time was called rookie ball, um, not even low A or high A, is rookie ball. And then advancing from rookie ball to low, uh, actually I skipped low A and went to high A in Visalia, California in 2008. And then played two years in Visalia in high A, three years in double A in Mobile, Alabama. And then about three or four years in triple A between three different organizations and then than my years in my year in St. Louis. <clears throat> yeah, so that's where I was going to go next. Obviously, you know, growing up here, a lot of people are Braves fans or Cardinals fans. Uh, the three of us here that host the podcast, we all happen to be Cardinals fans, so that strikes so good with us. So, kind of talk us through, you know, what that was like. You, I think it was a free agency sign that. What made you kind of pick them and and talk us through the AAA and also what it was like being a North Mississippi guy playing, you know, at AutoZone Park in front of your family and friends, where most I'm assuming in uh, you know, Washington, you didn't play in much of your family. No, not at all. Um, so, yeah, I became a free agent. So how it works is I played seven years in the minor leagues with Arizona. And if, if you don't get called up to the big leagues within those seven years, they've either got to sign you to a deal or you become a free agent. So I did not get called up. I became a free agent after playing a couple years in AAA. Um, I was on vacation, actually, again, with my family during free agency and, and my advisor or no, it was my agent at the time was calling me with two or three different options at this point. And one of them was Memphis or was Cardinals and me being a triple A player. Of course I had plans to go to the big leagues or start in the big leagues, but, but of kind of just being real with myself on what I was going to expect. I was going to try to figure out where I was going to play triple A ball. And so me being from the Memphis area and the Cardinals being affiliated in Memphis, it was almost a no brainer. And then, again, people can kind of say, well, why would you want to go to the Cardinals? Because you got a catcher named Yadier Molina, you know, who's not going anywhere. He's pretty good. Yeah, I just – I was being real with myself on knowing that where I was in my career, I'm not going to go be an everyday big leaguer. Why not take advantage of this opportunity, live at home, play in Memphis, and, and try to get up there and play with Yadi? And so, you know, fast forward a year and a half – I played full year in 2014 in Memphis without getting caught up and then get caught up in 2015. I actually got caught up because uh, I was hot hitting and Matt Adams went down at first base. And uh, again, Yachty, Yachty wasn't even hurt or Cruz, the backup wasn't even hurt. So I went up there and spent three months and, and hung out with Yachty and learned more than I learned in that time period being with him and the, the big leaguers than I did most of my career. So that was kind of that process. Man, you know, I, I can't even imagine what it's like. Yachty to a guy like me that didn't play that level is almost like a mythical creature, right? I mean, he's just – it's so solid. Even now you watch him play, he's, I mean, even though he's in the, the twilight of his career, he's still so solid and can't maybe can't do the things he used to do, but – I can imagine, I mean, learning from him must have just been on another level, kind of as you spoke about. But yeah. just kind of moving on from, from the Cardinals, I think your last stop was with the Pirates, right? Yeah. So what was that like? And, and kind of that was that – when did you kind of know, okay, you kind of said a minute ago I was honest with myself where I was in the career, and maybe it's time for me to hang this up and, and go a different route. Yeah. Um, I was never told I needed to hang it up. So I, after I left the Cardinals – 
became a free agent again, signed with the Pirates because of the opportunity I thought I was going to be given. And I I was. The the lack of catching depth they had in their system, me being a veteran, just leaving the big leagues, thinking that I was going to be able to be the backup catcher out of spring training the next year. It just didn't work out. No problem. I went to Indianapolis. I had just had my first son. Um, My wife was with me. My baby was with me. We were hanging out. We were it was just the grind, as you can imagine. And I got to a point midsummer where I was like, man, you know what? My heart's just not in it anymore. And so that's kind of how it ended for me. I mean, I played nine years in the minor leagues, one year in the major leagues. And it got to the point where I just had enough. And I, I, I told myself I was very grateful for everything. And, and I shut it down. And here I am today still in the baseball business, which we can hit on in a second. And I don't, I don't regret anything about it. Well, that was actually going to be my next question. Is there anything that you regret or wish you would have done different? Obviously, it sounds like you've lived a dream. But anything you wish it would have happened differently? Of course, playing in the big leagues longer, you know, those types of things that you wish that could have happened. But, but no, I mean, the experiences, the life lessons that I learned in the minor leagues, man, it's, it's nothing that you – I could – I would want to take away. Um, so no, it's, it was, it was, it was cool. Yeah. So transition just a little bit. I know from talking to a lot of guys that we've had the opportunity to talk to is they're not exactly fans the same way that we are. Obviously we have a favorite team and we root for the Cardinals no matter what, uh, being a guy like you that's played for different teams and you watch baseball on a completely different level, uh, than I do. So do you have a favorite team? You know, growing up, I was a Braves fan, just being in Memphis and them always being on TV in the 90s and following Chipper Jones and stuff like that. You know, Braves were my team. But, uh, but I mean, looking back right now, I mean, Cardinals, no doubt, just because of they, they were the one that gave me the opportunity that every kid dreams of. And so, you know, Cardinals is my team. And, um, you know, the team started to change a little bit. There's still some guys on the team that I played with and and can call up today that are there. And I even played for Mike Shield in Memphis, and I've touched base with him occasionally. And uh, Stubby Claps coached with me all summer during during COVID season when, when youth baseball was playing and big leagues were shut down because uh, his two boys play for me in my club. So he's the first base coach. So there's still a lot of connections there um, with the Cardinals, and, and I cherish them forever. Oh, absolutely. So – Kind of going through, how I don't know how much you get to keep up with, uh, you know, I know you see keep up with those guys, but the league as a whole, uh, was there the standings and everybody, is there a team this year that surprised you even with this shortened, people call it the asterisk season? I, you know, it is what it is for me. No, but, I mean, to your point, I, I haven't really kept up with it as much as I you would think I would. Not that y'all should be surprised, but being a being an ex-player, um, what I keep up with is my buddies. I mean, Greg Garcia with San Diego, Mitch Moreland with San Diego, uh, Stephen Piscotti with, with Oakland. I mean, I was in all three of those guys' wedding, and, and Stephen's, I feel like, tearing it up right now. I see him doing some good things. and Such a uh, solid guy, man. That's one, He's one of my favorites. Yeah, he's, he's solid. <clears throat> so, you know, doing the, what you do, right, developing players, who do you feel like is the best developmental farm league in the, in the big leagues? Mm. Um, you know, I enjoyed my time with, with – with, uh, Diamondbacks. I mean, they had some quality guys in the minor leagues that were helping develop. I spent most of my time there, so I, you know, I have a lot more to say about them. But it's hard to argue with some of the history that the Cardinals will provide at spring training and some of those guys that they bring into camp and allow you 
excuse me, to be around. But, uh, you know, I didn't hit on it earlier when I talked about playing with Yachty. I mean, I was in spring training with Yachty for two years. And those early morning workouts and, and early works and post-game video stuff that we would do, I mean, that stuff's priceless right there. The, the time spent with him over those, uh, over those couple years. So you, you, you talked about being able to work under Yachty and just be under that learning tree. But now you are the owner-operator of the, the Easley Baseball Club. And so you have – you get to be the Yachty of your baseball club. You have all these teams and all these players under your learning tree. Talk to me about the structure. How many teams do you guys have? And what, what is the ultimate goal for your clubs? So how it all started is, is because what we've, what we've talked about tonight – if you think about it, where where I was able to end my career, and let's just say it was with St. Louis. You know, I did spend a few months with, with Pirates. But being a hometown kid, finishing up with the Cardinals, playing in the big leagues, playing with Yachty, then all of a sudden, boom, this new youth baseball organization starts with me being able to head it up. And some of my ex-college teammates and pro teammates that are living around the Memphis area able to jump on board with me it's almost like a no brainer for these families out in our area because of the resources that these people now have for them. And so when you talk about the process and how many teams I have and how we've gotten to the point now, it's when I'm in front of a crowd or I'm on stage at a church last week, having my parent meeting and I've got 40, 50 coaches standing behind me, that's the answer. That's the reason why we've been so successful in a short, a short period of time is because the quality dudes that I have that are working with the Brady Tigers of the world that are helping getting him to, to Arkansas, that are helping develop him. And, again, a lot of it's on those boys. It's just their work ethic. But the platform that we provide for these players, I'll put it up against anybody in the country because of the group of guys that I have with me running easily baseball club uh, we're probably up to 45 or so teams i don't really roster all my teams in the fall from 7u through 13u we've got a roster set from 14u to 18u we just kind of keep each each graduating class and then just go a bunch of do a bunch of workouts and scrimmages and stuff like that so are you the are you coaching any of these teams or you're just operating it and owning it yeah, I, I do not coach any specific team. Now, I, what I think is important is how hands-on I am, how involved I am, how I try to be at most of the workouts and most of the tournaments. But, no, um, I think it's more valuable with me not being tied down with one specific team and always being available to help where I'm needed and then just continue over, overseeing everything. Yeah, I'm sure to an extent it's it's important to parents to – see you out there they they're obligating their money and their time and they're trusting you with the development of their kid because your name is on the program so i'm sure it's important that you try to be out there as much as you can um how do you balance 45 different teams and you know family life and, and just the business side how does all the how do you do all that it's tough and, and my my wife says it best because again the 10 years of baseball that we just talked about and including the college years. So my wife cheered at LSU during my three years at Mississippi state. So if you take three years 
of college and 10 years of pro baseball. Again, we knew each other during that whole time. So I'm getting to my point here is, is we were away from each other so much more than we are now back then because of the lifestyle. And so even though my lifestyle is busy with everything we have going on right now, we're still together more than we were in the past. And so I think that's what makes it manageable. Um, they're able to load up. I got a four-year-old boy, a two-year-old girl. They're able to load up and come with me occasionally since I'm not coaching a team and have some flexibility of, you know, what we can do. Uh, but it's tough. It is. I mean, I, I got to do a better job of, of turning my phone off at night and spending time with them. And uh, because as y'all can imagine, my phone will ding 24 hours, seven days a week with parents wanting to talk about why little Johnny didn't play shortstop today, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's difficult. How do you, how do you handle that? I mean, because from a from a coach and from from a business side, like you want to win and you want to put the best nine on the field and give every every team the opportunity to be the best that it can be. But also in the back of your mind, you have to realize too is there's people playing paying to play. So how do you balance the putting the best nine out there while also understanding like my my parents are paying for their kid to play so they have to play at some point well that's exactly what you just said you just you you play to win you play to be as competitive as possible but I all my coaches will tell you how particular I am and how often I check in with them about making sure the kids got opportunities and notice I didn't say fair opportunities but they all get opportunities to show what they can do and then ultimately, it's, it's play the best. I mean, I, my parent meeting is for a particular reason. And, and if y'all were there listening to it, me hitting on the playing time was a, a key point that I focused in the most because you're not – even though – and you mentioned it, you're paying to play. Really, though, how we have it is you're not paying for guaranteed playing time. You're paying for the opportunity to play and to be a part of an elite club but it is the number one, probably most challenging part of my job is balancing the parents' thoughts and where their kids are compared to my thoughts and the rest of my staff and where we think their kids are. Yeah, that's a, that was always, cause I, I've coached uh, many different levels and that was when travel ball came through, that was always the most difficult conversation is you being real with the parent and telling the parent, exactly really where their kid is because sometimes parents don't understand where their kid is their their level of their kid is much higher usually than what it really is and to get them to understand that and get them to buy into the fact that you've got to develop them to be where you need them to be is tough because I mean I've had pitchers for instance they'll come through and they think that they're starters and they should be starting every every few days and really they're, they're a relief guy. They're in for one or two innings just to kind of get us through. Um, so I, I definitely I, – I look back on my time as a coach, and it, that was – I can feel you when you say, like, that conversation and that and managing that is, is definitely the most difficult. Yeah, and the best thing you can do is be honest with them, and they'll respect you at the end of the day. Yeah, um, and that, I mean, that's, that, that's all that you should want as a player, too, is some honesty because – without honest feedback, how do you get better at the things that you need to get better at? Right. So, um, 
So talk to me about some of the some of the best players to come through EBC. Uh oh, um, man, we've had a lot. Of, we had on display the other day our total number of commitments and you know how many went to junior college compared to Division One and. You know, I'm trying to pull that up now, but we've had probably 10 Division One, six SEC type guys um, commit. Um, you know, I'll, instead of saying some of my best, I'll just I'll just mention a few of my current players that are committed to some higher level schools or some draft possible draft candidates. Um, you know, you got Tiger going to Arkansas and Gray Bain going to Mississippi State and uh, Grayson Sanye going to Ole Miss and Bradley Lofton going to Mississippi State and Jake Wilson going to Middle Tennessee and Jonas Sutton going to Memphis. Um, I've got a 2022 graduate with a junior in high school named Marion Boyd from South Panola, Mississippi that is, is, is rising in the draft ranks as far as draft prospect. He's a tool Z5 tool outfielder. Um, he's got got a couple offers from some SEC schools. Big time player that more than likely you're probably going to see his name popped early in the draft soon. Nice. So, what's what's the spiel? So, why why should people choose EBC over any other program? I think what I said earlier was just the the, the support staff that I have. You know, when you, when you hear it, when you see easily, you, you think of me and what I've done and what I can help your kid with. And that's true. I mean, I can. The, the, the relationships that I have with these college coaches, because I played against them, because I um, played with them now as I get older, um, the relationships, the connections that I have to help these kids get to the next level. And the number one factor, I think, is, is because they trust me on what I'm telling them. I'm talking about the college coaches and especially with the time that we're going through right now with the college coaches not being able to be out and recruit, right? And so how are they getting their information on these kids? They're calling me. They're asking me, hey, what do you got on this guy? And so they've got to be able to trust me. And I can honestly say that these these schools here in the Southeast are calling me and trusting what I'm saying and they're they're getting these kids committed on my word uh, not just because of what I'm saying. Again, it's because of their skill set. Uh, but to your point, it's, it's um, trusting that we're going to be able to help their kids get to the next level along with the long list of coaches that I have working for me and with me that can be resources for them as well. Yeah, you, you mentioned coaches. How about Lance Scoggins? He one of your, is he one of your best coaches? You can tell us the truth. We went to school with him. He is one of my best coaches, and I can honestly say that. I've already, I've already guaranteed Lance coaching um, contract for the next however many years he wants it. You can ask him. I tell him I told you that. He, yeah, uh, no. Nah, he's not man. He's got a barn. He's got the, the cages at his house. I mean, y'all know Lance. He's, he, he better can't. listen. He better hear it himself on this podcast. Yeah, no. He was he was a professional type in high school. We we can all vouch for that. So. It's it's not a surprise at all. I just had to kind of tease a little bit. But, man, this has been – I've taken on more knowledge about baseball in this episode than, man, I can I can really remember. And so, with that, let's transition and, and play a little game and have some fun. You all right with that, Ed? Yeah, let's do it. 
All right, so the game is this or that. I'm going to give you two things. And basically, as simple as this, you, you can't say both and you can't say neither. You have to answer the question. Not, nothing too hard. We got, we got a couple in here that might stump you, and we got a couple that are just real easy. But uh, it'll get everybody a chance to know you just a little bit more. So, so you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so are you Chevy or Ford? Ford. Tops Barbecue or Corky's? Corky's. Batman or Superman? Superman, just because that's what my son likes. There you go. Good answer. All right. So since we're we're around the same age, I went with this. Did you did you like Boy Meets World or Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Fresh Prince. Don't know much about Boy Meets World. Oh man, and he was a baseball fan too. Uh, all right. So would you rather hit bombs and strike out a lot, or would you rather have base hits and have a high batting percentage? How many bombs? I mean, these days. <laughs> I don't know. I know we asked Cameron James this question, and he didn't hesitate. He said, "Hit bombs and strike out a lot." <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're at the top, if you're at the leaderboard of the bombs, no doubt bombs. That's what they're looking for these days. All right. Would you rather have good looks or a good personality? Good looks. All right. Fine. All right. <laughs> Who would you rather catch for? And I know, I know you got to play with one, so maybe there's a little bias. But Adam Wainwright or Chris Carpenter? I'll say Wayno. Like you said, I'm biased. I got to, and he was one of the coolest, uh, you know, best dudes I've ever got to catch. Uh, I believe it. All right, who do you got dis more dislike for? The Cubs, or the Reds, the Reds. Believe it or Ooh, not. Uh, interesting. I don't think any of us expected that one. Yep. All right. And so we've been talking about all that young talent that you got coming through EBC. You're familiar with a lot of these kids. There has been a lot of trash talk on this podcast and off this podcast going into this year. Who's going to win Lewisburg or DC? <laughs> oh, it's funny. You asked me that. I was just texting with Lewisburg coach tonight about some of this stuff. Um, Man, you know, the top pitchers on both teams are all mine, right? And so we could we could sit here and debate when you got Tiger on the mound versus uh, Bradley Lofton at D.C. I mean, there's different – I can't even go into this because if EBC yeah. families are listening, I'm, I'm in trouble. Oh, you're, you're breaking Daniel's rules for the show. He said you can't say neither. But I'm going to – you know what? I'm going to let it slide because it's important. It's important to your job. We're actually uh, – me, me and Randy, we're actually going to go live. If there, if fans are allowed at these hands, we're going to go live and we're going to have guys like uh, Cade Smith and, and others join us and give us analysis during the game. We're, we are, we've been hyping this, this thing up. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let it go. I also know Brock Tapper is one of your guys for uh, D.C., correct? Yeah, no doubt. He's a stud. Yep. All right, and so I will ask this last one: EBC or Doolins? Or who? Doolins. <laughs> EBC. <laughs> he he lasts it. You know, he played for one. He, he runs the other. All right, so you're off the hot seat. The only other thing we got is: is there anything that you? I know you've talked about a lot of different things, but is there anything that you would like to plug or promote before you go? Man, I just – I'm excited to continue and to help these kids around the, the Memphis, North Mississippi area 
achieve and reach what I what I was able to do as a player. And so simple as that. Um, anybody listening, anybody that's that's involved with us already, anybody not involved with us, please please reach out if you're interested in a change or you're interested in joining our club because we are we are here to do things the right way and and uh help help the baseball and and uh you know the baseball kids in this area move forward all right ed man i want to thank you for joining us man we know it's labor day go enjoy your family and what's left of it i know you guys are at the beach so go get your tan on get your relaxing on and man we hope to have you back real soon yeah, man, no problem. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. That's Ed Easley, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to plug our sponsors. When we come back, we got headlines. All right, welcome back to the End Off the Bench podcast. we got headlines for you. We're going to lead off with the NBA. Jim, Rockets and Lakers, give us a summary. Tell us what's going on with the Rockets, man. Uh, this guy, I really like him a lot. Like, he's my favorite player, and he was terrible. I mean, terrible. And I can honestly say when you look at the stat line for basically everybody else on the team, usually you can't point at one player for a loss. I think this is the one time that you really actually can. Like, everybody else was good. I mean – Gordon had 24, Covington had 17, Tucker had 18, House had 14 off the bench. I mean, you know, Harden didn't have a ton, but that's because he didn't shoot a ton. Westbrook just, I mean, and he fell in love with the three, and that's what they wanted him to do. Ironically, on the flip side, you know, me and Randy joked a lot. Rondo, they give him the same shot, and he was actually making a few, like something Russ couldn't do, and so – um, I honestly think that he really uh, he really messed that game up. But the the fight for the Rockets to come back down twenty one and show how the three ball can get them back into any game should make it to where um, Rockets fans should not only not feel bad but know that they're never out of it. Um, you know, Randy said LeBron needed to put his head down and go to the basket. Anthony Davis needed to put his head down and go to the basket. They both did that and look at the results. They scored a lot. They scored a lot efficiently. And so uh, that'll be the thing. But the big thing will be um, two things to look for, and that's will the Lakers role players like Morris and, and Rondo chip in like that again? And will Westbrook go back to the way that he's been playing all season? So a lot of questions. But it's just 1-1. One, one. Don't want to overanalyze it. Still anybody's series. Um, you still got, you know, four MVP caliber players. I know obviously Russ isn't there, but he has won an MVP. And so um, it, could, it could go anyway. The Rockets are going to continue to play hard defense and live and die by the three. Speaking of 1-1, one, one, Randy, the Nuggets and the Clippers are – and currently the Nuggets are up two at halftime on the Clippers. Is that a surprise or do the Nuggets actually have a chance to do something special here? I sure hope they do, and I think it is a surprise. Nobody, nobody picked them. I think, including us. I think that everybody looked at it and like, you know, the Clippers are so deep, and they got Kawhi, they got PG thirteen, Pat Bev, Lou. They, got, I mean, the list goes on. Montrez Harrell, six. I mean, they just got a list goes on. But you know, we we didn't give credence to the Joker. The Joker was the key. They got smoked in game one and came back in game two. They didn't panic. 
and a lot of people they did something that people didn't think they could do. You know, they thought if they have if they're going to win this game, dude's got he's got average he's got average forty. He, I mean, he does, but it wasn't the key to this is the Joker, and also is MPJ. He's playing great game two, playing great tonight. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to win the series, but the fact that they're pushing them shows me a lot about that team and that a lot of people that after game one were like, you know, do they have to blow it up? Can this team compete with the tops? And the answer, I think, is undoubtedly yes. And, I mean, you know, you got to think, too, they're missing our Memphis kid. Yeah, I mean, if they hold on to win tonight, is there pressure on the Clippers, or do they just say, all right, we just got to do a couple things, get it fine-tuned, and we'll be fine, and we can win this series? I think there's going to be a lot of pressure. And also, I think people – I mean, people wanted to point out how bad, you know, uh, Pat Bev's numbers were. People are forgetting the dude's hurt. Like, I mean, he's not yeah. playing at 100%, and he's not a guy that's going to fill up your – he's not going to score 30 and get you 15 assists. But as Jim can absolutely point out, that guy will win you a game with everything else he does, uh, and he's just in your head. And I think maybe it's well, – the Nuggets know what they do. They know what they do, and they do it well. And do the Clippers have that identity? Because there's a lot of guys that want the ball, and a lot of guys – so they don't, maybe they don't know what they want to do. I think they got a great coach. But I like the Nuggets. If they win tonight, there's a lot of pressure. All the pressure's off the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just playing, having a good time. They're, if they win tonight, I mean, they're very loose – well, I was trying to I was looking, the I was looking at the box score and trying to figure out why the the Clippers are losing, Randy. So I was like, George has got 17, Leonard's got 14. Dude, Sweet Lou's got none, and Harold's got two. And that is why they're losing right now. You touched on it, you know, is it's the role players. And, you know, I, I, absolutely that is what matters in the NBA. You're going gonna to get Murray. You're going to get it from Joker. You're going to get it from those guys. Are you going to get it from MPJ every game? Are, you know what I mean? Those are the guys that are going to have to step up and hit big shots. And the Clippers got a ton of those guys. But, I mean, they got so many people want the ball. And you know me, I don't like that. I want a team with an identity that knows what they're going to do. Win, lose, or draw, DB and I saw our team make the playoffs eight, eight years in a row. And even though they never got to the promised land, they knew what the fuck they wanted to do, and they did that. So, Jim, we, we put money on, on what we thought was a sure thing, especially when they started the series with the Raptors. The Celtics uh, got back to winning ways. They took a 3-2 series lead tonight. Do they have enough to hold on and, and, and move to the, to the finals? Yeah, honestly, I mean, they let game three go. Um, game four, to be honest, they didn't – they didn't really look like they won it. It was very surprising. And then Jalen Brown had a little Russell Westbrook in him. He was four for 18. He just kept jacking shots like he'd been making them all night. But um, I put together the stats after tonight's game for all five games. And, you know, Randy was talking about in the, in the other series, talking about too many guys wanting to shoot. But maybe it's just the way that Boston's made up. Maybe it's the way that they're coached. But here's what I like about them, man. Um, you have Tatum averaging on the series 19. You have Smart averaging 14. You have Walker averaging 14. And you have Brown averaging 18. That's, I mean, everybody's contributing, and and I love it. And it's – you know, Tatum is the man on that team, but you wouldn't know it because he – you know, they all share the, the workload. So, I mean, like I said, I think that's – Randy, let me ask you. I mean, is that a tribute to Stevens? Absolutely. And think about it. They're missing – the guy that's so underrated, 
in Gordon Hayward. Like, dude is so good. And, I mean, he, that guy could average you 25 in a series, and, I mean, easily. He's, been, he's done it his whole career. And so, to answer you, Daniel, I think, I think they get it done. I don't think it goes to seven. Um, you know, because they are our pick, um, and I know Randy's fixing to talk about the other series, uh, we, need, uh, we need the Bucks somehow, some way to extend that series so um, the Heat aren't just chilling, waiting on the Celtics. So, I mean, your boy, Randy, Jimmy Buckets, like, he, he's doing his thing. He's, I mean, arguably the Heat are playing the best basketball of anybody right now. Um, they're up 3-1, and it took everything the Bucks had in overtime to hold them off yesterday. I mean, are you surprised by this, or do you think the Heat tomorrow night will finish these guys off? Oh, it's a wrap. It is a wrap. Let me tell you something right now. The team, they're tougher. They, the, if there's a loose ball, they're taking it. And they don't have a conscience, man. Look at the young Tyler Hero. That guy, he does not have a conscience. He's shooting that thing. And he damn near won that game at the end by himself with some clutch threes. And the guy just, he doesn't care. He doesn't know that he's a rookie. And you got Jimmy Butler as the leader of that team. And let me tell you right now, boys, I'm going into battle with that dude and his mustache any day of the week. <laughs> and his mustache. What, what, what I think Jimmy Butler does a good job with is taking guys like Tyler Hero and going, hey, man, I believe in you. Fucking just shoot the ball, man. You you got this. Like, like hey. pumping guys up to make them feel like they can do anything. And I told you weeks back when we were going through your favorite player, I pointed out, bam, and I said – that guy is going to be an all-star. That's the dude. And you two clowns, y'all were like, who the fuck is Bam? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't say who was Bam. We'll run, hey, the tape, run the tape I, back. Nobody I'll, gave I'll it I'll run no the credit. tape, but let me, let, me ask, let me ask you this, Randy. So we're talking about, you know, these, these young guys in Miami and how they're responding to playing around Butler. Does this actually talk about because when he was in Minnesota or when he was in Philly – and then you look at where Philly's at now and their issues. And then, you know, Minnesota, the things with Cat, was it maybe really it wasn't Jimmy and maybe it's more so we need to look at Carl Anthony Towns and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? Yes. Well, I've listened. He's been my favorite player for a long time. So I've, I've actually listened to Jimmy talk about this, and he said it in so many words. He was on J.J. Reddick's podcast talking about it. And the fact that he's an alpha guy, he calls people out on their bullshit, right? So when he came in uh, to Philly specifically, uh, you know, he was kind of late. He, this, this was already Ben Simmons had the ball a lot. Joel Embiid's a great player, but he was hurt a lot. But Brett Brown was kind of letting the inmates run the asylum, for lack of a better term. Jimmy B was trying to call people out. Brett Brown didn't want to call Ben Simmons out on mistakes or call Joel Embiid out on mistakes. And then you had veterans like J.J. Redick that are sitting in the back, but those dudes aren't loud. They're not barkers. So Jimmy B comes in like, hold up. No, we that's we're gonna have to call him out. You, you won't call me out. We're gonna call him out. He fucked up. Like, yeah, he's talented and dude is money, but everybody's got to get called out. Kobe and Shaq. I mean, shit, Michael Jordan and Scotty. People fuck up. You got to call him out on him. That's Jimmy. Jimmy's an alpha and Jimmy's gonna. We saw it the other night with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. What, yeah, Russell I was, I was, I, yeah, I was, I was impressed with the way Harden ripped Russ. And Harden's not a guy that's really gonna mouth except for to the referees, but. He made it very clear. He was like, Russ, cool it, bro. Like, we, that's you, you fucked up. You can't do that. And Russ was – he's emotional. So, I mean, and, hey, you're going to live and die with that with Russ, right? But 
I think with Jimmy, you're right, DB. He lifts the team up. Uh, and, and to me, and he plays a little bit different, but he's a lot like D-Wade in the fact that he's, he's, he's out there to make people better. And I don't mean make them better by the great assists and, you know, he, whatever. But he's, he's working. He's leading by example. And when they're in that huddle, they're listening to him. And it doesn't help hurt. They have a great coach. I mean, Spoh's a great, great coach. I can't wait to see uh, Spoh versus Brad Stevens in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I, I, I said this when we were talking about Coach of the Year. I said, what about Eric Spolstra? And I think Jim was quick to dismiss that. He poo-pooed you. Yeah. Just like, right, bam, I out of bio. The, I, hey, I picked the right guy. That's all I know. He won, didn't he? Did you? Did you, though? Did you, though? Did, you, did they? Our, money's, our money hey. right now is currently against him, so um, I, I beg to differ. What, I'm, I'm going to butcher his name, but is it – how do you say it? Budenholzer. Bull, I can't even say. Say Buden. say the Bucks coach. Budenholzer. Yeah. Anyway, hey, did you see when they were fixing to go 3-0? I don't know if you're watching that game. I thought he was going to have a stroke, man. And not because he was yelling. I mean, he looked like he was so sick that his team was fixing to go down 3-0. I was actually concerned for that man's health. Because he knows his job's on the line. I will say this, though. Shout out to Chris Middleton because a lot of – they've been hating on that dude a long time. Like, is he that Pippen? And dude showed – like, not only can he be the Pippen, he'll go out and win you a game, and he won that game. Is he long? He ain't that long. He ain't that long. <laughs> so, transitioning to the NHL, we have our uh, conference finals going on right now. Uh, currently, the Lightning are just dominating the Islanders, 8-2. to two. They're going to wrap this two. Up. Yeah, they're going to wrap this game up here in the next two minutes, and – they're going to take a commanding 1-0 lead. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's difficult when you win a game that big. Are, are you catching a team on an off night, or are you just playing that damn good? I'm, I'm curious to see how the Islanders bounce back. Um, but, but, Daniel, I told you I watched the, the Lightning, my first Lightning game the other day, and they won 7-1. So, for, from what I used to know, you didn't score a lot of goals in hockey. Apparently, the Lightning don't follow protocol. Well, I was going to say they, you know, they are playing really well right now. And I don't want to jinx anything, but like tonight is just, they had a lot of time off and they turn around, they do what they got to do. Um, I, I expect them to win the series, go on to Stanley Cup finals and, and hopefully, you know, continue playing well. They're either going to take on the Stars or the Vegas Golden Knights. Currently, Dallas uh, is up one game to nothing, Jim. Who, who do you got in that series? Well, you know, because you told me ahead of time I was going to need to know about this, I did a little studying, and my man Theodore for, for Las Vegas Golden Knights, he is he's their leader in points. He's their leader in assists. He's, he's dishing it out like, uh, like Steve Nash, but in hockey. And so I think he's going to lead his team, and I think they're going to win. And not, not only that, because – you know, I think Randy will agree with this. Just because the Cowboys reside in Dallas, we refuse to 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 root for any team from Dallas. So, screw Dallas. We're going with Las Vegas. What do you think, Randy? Ooh, you know what? Oh no, you're not with me. Ooh, I, I, I got, you know what? You almost you almost steered me with that speech. It was Jimmy Butler like I like, but I'm rolling with Tampa Bay, baby. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're talking about the Dallas-Las Vegas oh, series. The only time you're going to see me root for anything out of Dallas, Texas, 
It better be one of my kids going to school there, dog, because that's the only <laughs> way it ain't happening, dog. Hey, we lost Randy so much with hockey talk. He didn't even know I was, the Lightning weren't involved. Hey, I was so excited to talk about Tampa. I mean Tampa that I just I got I went right past it. Yeah, give me give me Vegas, baby. <laughs> so, they coming back. They down one zero. So so Lakers what, what were I, two. What I gather, Randy, is that you're you're a big Vegas fan right now until they play the Lightning, and then it's all about Tampa. I'm going to play Metallica's Ride the Lightning until my speakers blow. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm doing, baby. Just jamming out. All right, so we had some college football open up uh, this weekend. We we had the Tigers play. Randy, I want to get your perspective first. You were there. You worked the game. You were there live to see it. Um, It wasn't the most sound that we've seen the Tigers, but, you know, are we in for something in for a good season or we got some holes that we're, we need to address. They do have some holes, but I mean, first, you know, live game, you know how it is. They, it's the first time they're playing against somebody that isn't a tiger. Right. I mean, so I think that it's, it was sloppy, not, not what you wanted to see, but they're replacing a lot. I mean, they're replacing NFL players. They're replacing coaches. I mean, they're replacing and people that they don't think about this, they're replacing SIDs, equipment guys. A lot of people went down to Florida State, and that, that kind of gets glossed over. But these kids, they had a system that they believed in. And I'm not saying that they don't believe in Ryan Silverfield, but I think he's still finding his way, and they'll be fine. And maybe, look, I'm going to tell you that right now, I had no idea that Arkansas State had an NFL receiver on their team, but I'll be damned if that dude ain't going to be in the league one day. Jim, what about you? Um Give me your thoughts on watching it, you know, on TV. What what did you think? Well, to Randy's point about the receiver, I'm going to have to give a little credit. But, I mean, regardless of how good he was, and there were some missed opportunities as well that they they could have scored even more, the secondary was getting smoked. That's absolutely got to get corrected. Um, so that I mean that was my biggest takeaway because we know Memphis is going to put up points. That's that's no doubt. But your defense is going to have to play better. Like I said, they got lucky. There was a couple overthrown balls where the receivers were behind the secondary, and so I mean that that's what I really saw. And I know Memphis isn't traditionally a, a powerhouse defensively either. But I mean, if you're going to compete to to win a conference title, I mean you're going to have to tighten some things up. So they're going they're going to be watching that game film and they're going to have to figure some things out. But all in all, I mean. A win's a win. Didn't cover the spread. I know somebody on this show predicted that. So I took all my money. I bought a Roadcaster Pro. It's on the way, Daniel, so you can actually sound as good as me and, you know, all that good stuff. Well, I, you're right. I, I expected them to cover the spread. I expected them to score 50 points. Um, you know, there there were – there's definitely a a lot of, like, fine-tuning, I would say, that needs to happen. I don't necessarily think that they – they need to, you know, drastically change anything, but they do need to fine tune some things. There was some mistiming on jumps, some misthrows um, by Brady, you know, but I will say he had guys like Sean Dykes that had big games. I mean, for the running backs, I mean, we ran the ball fairly well. Um, defensively, it's as expected for a Tiger defense. They, they are giving up yards and plays that, should be stopped before those yards and plays can develop. But um, it's game one. 
it's the first time that we're seeing guys in a different speed with a different jersey. So I, I'm, I'm happy that Silverfield got his first win. I'm happy to see the guys, you know, for the most part play, you know, good. They didn't play terrible. So there's that. Um, but in two weeks, we, we've got Houston, and it's got to be better than it was uh, Saturday night. So be interesting to see what corrections we make, and, you know, it'll be fun to watch in a couple weeks. Hey, but I will got- say one thing before we transition. Brady White has taken a lot of criticism. The kid played really, really well. I, I, he did miss a couple throws, but he looked like he belonged. Yeah, I mean, it's – I was telling Michelle this as we are watching. I said, it's nice to know that in a tie game or when you know you're not playing well that you got Brady White marching out on the field. Um, if we didn't have him and we had somebody new like that – anxiety of marching a new person out would be it would be a little I'd be a little leery of what we were going to see but knowing that Brady's done it he's been there he's played at the highest level um and the guys fight good so yeah Dan Orlovsky was big on him I listened to him on local radio and then of course pregame and so he uh, he was a big fan of Brady White yeah, don't you hate Dan Orlovsky? I, I do, but I mean, since we're trying to hype up Memphis players, I figured I would <laughs> use him. But since you just ruined it, <laughs> Dan, if you're listening, I love you, man. So we got it. We got another slate of games this weekend. We got the ACC looking like they're opening up. Um, there's a couple of Big Twelve teams that are playing. So, Randy, with the slate of games this weekend. Um, any games that stick out to you? Any games that you're looking to watch or hoping to see some good football? You know, with a couple of weeks before real football, I mean SEC football stars, we just got to <laughs> fill the time, you know. So, I guess, you you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Clemson because, you know, we want to see Trevor Lawrence. I want to see a future, uh, you know, number one draft pick, see what they look like. I think it's going to look a lot like a lot of their games when they're killing inferior opponents. But uh, I'll be interested to see their favorite to win the championship again. Uh, last time we saw them play, they got the shit kicked out of them by LSU. So, I mean, I'm looking to see what they're looking like because they lost some good players. And, but, hey, they got sunshine. Sunshine. So, Jim, what about you? What game are you looking forward to the most? Well, if I'm going to watch one, because like Randy said, real football hasn't started. I picked out Duke versus Notre Dame because who's more fun to root against than Notre Dame, right? Wouldn't it be great if – Duke can just come out and as a, you know, I mean, they've gotten better over the years of football, but they are a basketball school, and Notre Dame is overrated every year. So, wouldn't it be great if Duke just came out and spoiled their season right out the gate? Shout out David Cutcliffe. I know. David Cutcliffe, he just molds men. Like, he's a a classic guy that molds men. He reminds me of, of Miss Knight. She just molds great characters. Shout out Miss Knight. I'll tell you what. Uh, I will say this, Jim, man. When I look at the slate of games and I say what ranked team could go down, like Notre Dame is immediately the team that I think of. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see North Carolina getting beat by Syracuse. I don't see Iowa State getting beat by Louisiana. I don't see Oklahoma getting beat by Missouri State. I mean, you could maybe argue and say Wake Forest might, you know, be in the game with Clemson. Ridiculous. I don't see 
yeah, I, I, I don't see Texas getting upset by UTEP. And there's Tulsa and Oklahoma State that, I mean, maybe. Um, but, yeah, it's – I don't know if it's just the fact that we like rooting against Notre Dame or if that's really just – I mean, I really think it is because they're overrated all the time. But, I mean, if you're going to watch something, Randy called it. Um, you want to see how Trevor Lawrence responds and bounces back, even though it ain't a good team. Because the last time you saw him on the field, it, it wasn't pretty. All right. So, so Jim, give me give me your lock of the week. If you were going to pick any anybody to win, who you got? Oklahoma. Oklahoma over Missouri State. Randy, what about you? Sunshine, give me Clemson to cover and cover big. I got you. I'll, I'm going to take Texas, uh, Texas over UTEP. Um, UTEP had a game last week there. Um, one game in the books, they won, but I, I think Texas is going to come out and just light them up. Uh, hey, the 42 and a half point spread. I'm you not taking that? Take no, I'm not going to take that. Oh, but quick, quick question for you guys. Quick question for you guys. Who was the who was the last team Oklahoma played also? Nobody? Your mic, your mic must not be working. Was it was it was it LSU? Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I just, I just want to make sure that we remembered that their their last game hey, came. Hey, guess who guess who Oklahoma should have been playing last Saturday in Norman, Oklahoma? Who's that? University of Tennessee. And they would and they would have took an L to UT, wouldn't they? they? They would have taken the L, and they would have been – look, they would have been chomping at the bit to play Missouri the next week. I, I, I feel you on the SEC Big 12 thing because this week LSU would be playing Texas. So, uh, hmm. How'd that work out last time? That was actually a great game, though. Yeah. But, hey, but Texas no – but this time they were coming to our house. And if you don't remember uh, the, the big storyline, they disrespected our band and they put them in the top corner nosebleed. Mm -hmm. So They did. Y'all were giving some y'all were giving some upside down hookums though pre game. I mean, it was a, a lot of disrespect on both sides during that whole thing. Which I mean, that's what that's what you expect, right? It's college football at the highest Bring level. Bring me all the smack talk. I want it all. That's right. We've been missing it. We we needed it drastically. So we got last call as far as headlines go in the world of sports. Jim, what do you got? actually jumped the gun i was gonna do the brent rooker thing now about getting called up for the twins but i actually wanted to talk about that with ed so that was that was probably my biggest thing the uh the other what i mean is the nuggets i mean since it's still live i mean the nuggets are still playing phenomenal ball and i want to call myself out on it i i said that they didn't have a chance in this series i didn't think they were going to win a game let alone win a game and be ahead in the second game, almost fixing to go into the fourth quarter. So, I mean. And nobody would have said it with Murray only having 10 points. No way. No, not at all. So, I mean, that's what – I mean, when we get off here, I'm going to – that's the last thing I thought I'd be tuning into. All right, Randy, what about you? Last call. I only want to point out that ESPN has disrespected my Indianapolis Colts for the last time. <laughs> Last time. I mean, they give us no respect. And then they got this this bogus simulation shit that they put out. Got us, like, losing the division. They got us losing, like, every game by 40 points. Got us going eight and eight and shit. ESPN, I'm on to you, bro. I, I read one of the – one of like, they, they break it down into, like, four-week or five segments. And, like, one of them, like, Philip Rivers is, like, the player of the week. And he had, like – 
1,200 passing yards, or he had some ungodly amount of passing yards, and then they lost, like, three of the four games. If he did, yeah, no. If he did have 1,200 passing yards, that would only be, like, two more yards than he has children. <laughs> Shoot, he's going to be quarterback in a team, and it's going to be all Rivers. He ain't lying. Hey, Randy, while I'm thinking about it, this is a random question for our podcast, but did you take Saquon number two in your draft earlier? I did, man. I, I will I will share my results with you gentlemen afterwards. Uh, I was very distracted because my wife, we were we were building frame and mirrors, but I think I did okay. <laughs> nice. Well, Daniel, so, Daniel will be on the hot seat tomorrow with the number one pick. Yeah, it's going to be the quickest pick in history, so just be ready for that. Um for me, uh, last call, Jim, this is going to be directed to you. This is about your boy, Alvin. He, he was asked multiple times about holding out, and he quoted, I ain't never held out in my life. I came to the building every day. That's all I got to say. So you tell me, is the guy holding out, or what's going on with him? I mean, I don't know. I mean – all all signs now are saying he's going to play. And, you know, why would you hold out, honestly, on a team that, you know, legitimately is going to be in a run for a Super Bowl? And it's a bad look. I think he's going to play. I think he likes those guys. If you – you know, I follow them all on Twitter. They're all his boys. And I don't think he's going to leave them hanging. I understand the money. Um, the, the Saints will figure something out. You know, I made this joke to y'all, but – I mean, I, I wish Drew maybe wouldn't have been so, like, generous to the city of New Orleans and maybe gave Alvin a little money on the side so he'd want to play a little more. Hey, speaking of what there is to give, Alvin, you kind of touched on it. They said that the projection is that there'll be negative $80 million. $80 million. I don't know that they can sign they, out. They can't. Well, I told y'all in real time, remember, I told you I hated the Drew Brees contract. I did not agree with paying him $25 mil a year. That's why you got to be terrific, Tom, and you got to give money back, man. Yeah. Well, guys, that's going to wrap up headlines for us. We're going to move to Around the Horn. So, Randy, I'll start with you. What's one thing the audience needs to know before you go? Listen, I've had a lot of people talk to me about the Jerry Falwell statement I did a couple weeks ago, right? They want, us, they want an update. So I'm going to give the people what they want. Just a quick recap for people that didn't listen. Jerry Falwell uh, was the president of Liberty University. His father founded it. He was a Christian evangelical uh, leader for many, many years. Uh, was caught in an entanglement like Will and Jada, where his wife was uh, having sex with a younger guy. Not only was she having sex with a young guy, but my man Jerry was watching it. It was all, He was in the know. But let's get an update on Jerry. Where's Jerry now? Jerry has been in battle. Jerry stepped down. Jerry got 10.5 million dollars from the university to step down but that ain't it now they're doing a forensic investigation under his time as president find out that his sons and his daughter-in-law both of his daughter-in-laws are on staff getting paid and that jerry acted on his own behalf as well as the universities in several real estate deals over the years hundreds of millions of dollars funneling it right to his buddy's construction company even built a tunnel this is how bold this dude was Dude built a tunnel going straight to a shopping mall that he owned. Jerry Falwell, bro, you got huge stones 
bigger one. If you like, if you had those bigger stones, you should have been using them on your wife and not the young cat. I'm just here to tell you, man. I need that kind of money. I need build a tunnel to another building kind of money. How do I get that? Ten point five million just to go away, bro. But hey, his sons, both of them, still on. Hey, check this out. They reach out to him. They say, Jerry, what's up with your sons being on staff? His quote and it, it, being recorded. He said, you don't want to mess with me. I promise you that. Damn. Shout out to Jerry Falwell. Dude, dude just don't give a damn. That's, man, I would say that's what's up, but I don't know if that's what's up or not. Man. All right, Jim, what's one thing the audience needs to know before you go? I'm going to go with two things. The first the first thing is going to go with me and Randy combined. He didn't know I was going to say this, but he'll agree with this. He often talks about his wife. I talk about mine some. And we have those wives who like to decorate for fall really, really early. They're the ones who post the questions on social media. Is it too early? And for both of our wives, it was not too early. They went to work, and they went to work hard. And the pictures are up if you want to see them. But – I say all that to say husbands in a year of 2020 where things are just a mess. If your wives, girlfriends, whatever, whoever you live with, they want to decorate. For, right. If, if they want to decorate for fall, man, go all out, man, help, help them out, set it up. It'll make them feel good. It, it, it makes the home feel, makes the home feel even better. You know, feels like you're celebrating something in a year where there just hasn't been much to celebrate. So, so shout out to Haley and Sarah for, uh, for making our houses that much more enjoyable. And then on a more sad note, Randy may not be familiar, but I know you are, Daniel. Uh, I just saw earlier Mike Sexton um, died. And if you're in the poker world, you know that he oh, called, yeah, called a lot with the WPT, any of the big cash games with the big, the big poker players. He was a phenomenal voice. I actually looked at this, Daniel, man. He's been a part of poker for 50 years, bro. Damn. Go on, Mike Sexton. Do your thing, big dog. Um, you know, for me, the one thing the audience needs to know before we go uh, is another somber note. Um, being Cardinals fans, I think we have to mention it. Uh, Lou Brock passed away a couple days ago uh, one of the most revered players in cardinal baseball history um so rest in peace lou brock man rest in peace mike sexton and guys another great episode good insight good times good fun i want to thank ed easily for joining us hopefully we'll get some updates with him and the ebc crew uh here in the next few weeks but if you like Average Joe's talking X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, your comments, ratings, and feedback is always welcome. Check out the new website. Jim's been working night and day to get it right. Uh, we'll see everyone next week for episode 24. We're going to be talking SEC track with star Cameron Crump. This has been the End Off the Bench Podcast. As always, remember, strong bodies, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We're out.